Hey, church, I'm so glad you're carving out some time uh, to gather together around God's Word. Uh, we're in a collection of sermons uh, simply called Seven Letters, where we're looking at the seven letters written to the churches at the very beginning of Revelation uh, and seeing what is God saying to us as a church, and what is God saying to us personally um, through these letters um, so that we might respond uh, accordingly. Uh, and so let's read the text this morning. We're in Revelation chapter 2. Uh, we're going to begin at verse 8. It says, And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, The words of the first and the last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested for 10 days. You will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches and to the one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, we love you. And God, we give you all the praise. We give you all the glory. We give you all the honor for all the things that you've done, for all the things that you're doing, and all the things that you are yet to do. And so God, we pray now in these next few moments as we gather around your text, around your word, God, would you speak to us? Would you speak clearly to us? Would you encourage us, Lord, in the places and in the ways we need encouragement? And do it, God, in a way like only you can do. God, for that, we'll be quick to give you the praise now and forever. And all God's people said, amen. We look at the second letter, following the letter to the church at Ephesus. We remember that Ephesus, kind of the largest city, the kind of the predominant force, but Smyrna, if you would ask the people in that church and in that reason, region, they would, they would say that they were first. You know, stamped on their coins, said, you know, at that time, city, you know, first in size and in, and in beauty. They, they loved their town. They loved to also share the story of how the city had been laid in ruins. And there was a time where they were defeated and kind of wiped wiped off the face of, of the earth, but then there's this resurgence that takes place, that rising of the phoenix, a resurrection, if you will, in the city. And so as we think about the city, as we, as we consider it, I want us to pay careful attention to the words of Jesus to the city. And he, he, comes, he comes to them with language that's familiar to them, language that they might even use. They call themselves first, but Jesus, as he approaches them in this letter, what he says to them, he says, he says, I am the first and the last, the one who is dead, but now is risen. When, when Jesus is saying this, he is grabbing hold of language from the Old Testament, language from Isaiah that spoke of, of God in Isaiah 41.4. He says, I am Yahweh, and I am the first, and with the last, I am he. Isaiah 43.10 says, before me, there was no God formed, and there will be none after me. In Isaiah 44.6, God's saying, I am the first and the last, and that there is no God beside me. In 48, 12 of Isaiah, it says, I am he, I am the first, and I am the last. There's this rhythm that has been coming out of, out of God's mouth, out of his 
being that he is first and last, alpha, omega, beginning, end. And we're reminded that means that God stands over and surrounding it all, that there's not anything that's happening past, present, or future that is getting away from God, that he is the marker, the grounding of it all. So he starts this letter in this way, this word to the church of Smyrna. And it's important for us because the words that follow need to be seen, experienced, felt after we get a good glimpse that, and reminder of what John said in the beginning of the letter, that Jesus is the first and the last, the alpha and the omega, because what we what we get to the letter, get in the letter to the church at Smyrna, Smyrna is not a rebuke. It's not some sort of reproof. It, it isn't a correction. What we get in this letter is actually a word of warning. It's a word that that isn't easy to receive, but it's one that we might identify with, you might identify in the time that you are in currently. The the first thing I want us to grab hold of is this, and I want you to write it down this way, that we're called to, this church, we are called to be faithful under pressure. We'll talk about that word pressure in a moment, but the reality of this letter is, is that suffering is coming. Suffering has a way of reminding us the things that really and truly matter. Come on, we've all just come through and are still dealing with the effects of a pandemic. You're probably like me. You get tired of talking about a pandemic, but we're marked in a way. And and all of us probably could share some things that coming out of this pandemic, coming out of this season of suffering, that it has marked us and shaped us for both the good and the better, that we're coming out of this. And because of what we've learned, what we've experienced, we now hold certain things to be more precious that maybe we took for granted. See, suffering has the the same ability to do that in our life. It purifies us. It gets us to the place where we understand more clearly the things that we might not have been paying attention to all along. It gets us down to sort of bare necessities. It gets us to a place of saying, what do we truly care about and what matters? The language that is in the text, it says, I know your tribulation. Greek word there for for tribulation, the way we would sort of define it and break it down, it, it would read simply this, a crushing pressure. The pressure that's around and surrounding you that if you and I, like if we were underneath the weight of a large boulder, this crushing pressure, Jesus says, I know the pressure you're under because I'm the one who stands among the lampstands. But also Jesus knows this pressure because he has experienced this pressure. It's not just an observing connectivity that Jesus has with the church, but it actually is solidarity that he has. I know, I know the tribulation that you're under and that you're facing. I know right now that there have been some people that are saying some things about you. Isn't it hurtful 
when there are people in our lives saying things that aren't true, saying things that are hurtful, making up stories so that other people would begin to see you in a different light. This is precisely what's happening to this church in Smyrna. In the community that they're in, it would be very, very easy to confuse Jews and Christians because so much of the early Christian faith literally migrates from the Jewish tradition. They, they're living and they're moving and, it, and it's maybe a fuller expression. It's a deeper sort of understanding that they are walking in. But in the town, it would be easy to, to confuse them until you get up close and begin to hear language, word, even seeing things practiced out differently, maybe even more passionately, more committed. And, and what you have now is a synagogue in the city who is seeing this church and not recognizing or able to embrace similarity, not able to see that they are uh, really kind of coming from the same branch if you will, but but you have this synagogue, you have these people who are in leadership who are actually beginning to plot, who are beginning to create problems. Their words are, are not just hurting their self-esteem, but what they're saying is actually creating hostile environments for this church. So not only is there slander, but there's also the reality that it's producing poverty in their life because in in just the local community, people were choosing not to do business with Christians. They were choosing not to do business with Christians. And so you'd have the Jews and you have the Romans and you have different people who are in this region who are making the decision not to buy from those businesses, not to visit those places. And so now you have this church who is bearing the weight of slander, bearing the weight of harsh words set against them, and they're also having to live with the, with the effects of their financial instability among this region as well. Listen, you and I both know what it is to have moments of, of lack. We, we know what it is to, to have seasons of our, of our life, and maybe you're in a season right now where it just you're just struggling Financially, that, that's a pressure that feels different than other types of pressure. When you're having to make decisions on which bill to pay at which time, just so that you can sort of get through it and navigate it, that, that's a different type of pressure. When, when you feel like people are against you, not just in their actions, but also their words are alongside that, it is a pressure that is being felt. So Jesus is aware of what they're going through, but then he also gives them a warning of what's to come. He says, you're, 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 going, you're going through some stuff. And he says, but I want you to know that, that there's some other stuff coming. When we read this text, it almost throws us into asking specific questions. The disciples asked questions like this when, when they came upon someone that was ill and someone that was maybe born with a, a birth defect. And they would ask questions like, why is this this way? Is, has something happened in the family that has caused this? We, we always want to ask the questions that help us get to an understanding of why is this happening? Why is this transpiring and taking place in this way? So many of us, when we look at 
maybe the church of Smyrna, and we see that they're about to go through some suffering, that they're about to go through some difficult times. Scripture says they're going to be maybe tossed in jail. Maybe they're going to have a, a, a moment where they're, where they're going to be faced with, with martyrdom. And, and we, we might drift to ask the question of, man, what's, like, what's really going on? Like, is this because they've done something to displease the Lord? Have they, like, what have they done to bring on this crushing pressure? Because suffering, we want to attach it to a reason. We want some rationale around it. Like, did I do this? Was this the cause? And now suffering is the, the effect. You know, have they done something wrong? Did they do something to displease the Lord? The simple answer is no. And that, friends, is precisely the point. There's not something that they've done wrong. Again, this is one of the few letters of the seven where there's no rebuke. There's no correction. There's no, I have this against you, like was there to the letter of the church at Ephesus. There's no call to repentance. Paul actually says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3 verse 12, that the disciples in Smyrna are experiencing tribulation because they were living godly lives. They were seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and the city didn't like it. Can I remind you of something that you may know and you may have experienced or be experiencing right now? That there will be people that when you follow God and you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, there will be people that don't like it. There will be people that don't stand in applause, but there will be those that will come against you for making the decision to follow Jesus fully. Friend, I know that's not easy to hear. I know it's not a fun and exciting message, but just maybe it's the word of the Lord that you need to receive here and now, just as the church in Smyrna. He says, I know the pressure that you're facing. He says, I know that the pressure is, is against you and it's crushing you and you feel like you probably can't even bear the weight. It's powerful what John does in the beginning of, of his letter. Chapter one, verse nine, he links three words. He links, links the word tribulation, this sort of crushing pressure, kingdom and perseverance. John says, he says, I'm, I'm your, your fellow brother. I'm participating with you. I'm a partaker of this tribulation. And, and he says, as you see these things are linked, what I want us to be aware of is to be a kingdom person. To be following Jesus means that we partake in the tribulation, in the crushing Pressure. I'll say it this way, to be faithful disciples, we are going to experience and be under pressure. Jesus, in effect, says this. He says, I know everything that's taking place. I know from my own experience. I know because I'm also with you in the suffering that you're experiencing right now. Friends, there's the beautiful promise that is echoed throughout the scriptures. When you and I face moments of difficulty, of suffering, of crushing pressure, that Jesus doesn't stand in the distance, but he stands among us as one who has been battle-tested, as one who has 
endured. And just as the beginning of the letter reminds them, let us be reminded right now, the Jesus that tells us that we're going to be okay and we can make it through is the one who has overcome death, hell, and the grave. He says, I was dead, but I'm now alive. The crushing pressure might seem like it's breaking you. But resurrection, friends, is on the other side of that. The pressure that they're facing, slander, poverty, prison, maybe even death. The question for you, though, is what type of pressure are you feeling? What type of pressure are you experiencing right now? What weight are you under? Because, friends, no different from the church at Smyrna, the word of the Lord is to you to be faithful in the midst of that pressure. You and I, we can stand up under it because we have the strength of the Lord, even when it seems like we're being crushed, we're being pressed, we're being pulled apart. The Lord has the ability to be the sustaining grace to us and through us and for us. Next thing I want you to write down and consider is that in the midst of the pressure, we're not just called to be faithful, but in the midst of the pressure, there's also a promise. And there's a few promises that I want us to see and I want us to notice and pay attention to. And one is this, and this is a theme throughout the book of Revelation, that there's more going on than what we could see. You might think it's a group of people that are slandering you. It might seem as there's oppressive governmental structures. It might seem that it's a person that you've fallen out of good relationship with, and now they're coming against you, and they're saying things, and they're keeping people from, from sort of participating in your business. And all of those things might, might seem like they're happening. Notice when he uses the word synagogue of Satan. What he's saying to them and to us is that what's going on here is more than just flesh having frustration and arguments and disagreements and, and being against one another. That, that's, that's not, that's what's going on, but that's not really what's going on. What's going on is the same enemy that tried to destroy Jesus is at work in trying to destroy his church. The enemy that tried to destroy Jesus, hear this, is at work in trying to destroy his church. There's more going on than what we can see. I love this quote from Richard Halverson. He was a chaplain of the United States Senate. And once on the Senate floor, he said this. I love this quote. He says, no adequate understanding of history can be had without taking into account the fact that behind and around and through history, a personal, diabolical, satanic spiritual force is bent on destroying all good and its author, Jesus Christ. This man is capturing the words of Paul where Paul says this to the church at Ephesus. He says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the forces of darkness and the other spiritual forces of weakness, wickedness in heavenly places. Again, what you see going on is not all that is going on. And so friend, in the midst of the pressure, there's a promise. That's one of the promises. 
There's more going on than what you can see. And the same way that there's an enemy that you may not be able to see, can I encourage you that there is a risen Christ that stands among his churches? with his eyes ablaze, with his feet burnished in bronze, with the word of truth coming from his mouth. Listen to me. The other promise is that this won't last long. He says to them, he uses the Greek, the common Greek phrase, 10 days. This is kind of like when you and I'd say, oh, we're going to be gone for a couple days, or oh, we're going to go over here for, for, a, for a little bit. It's a, it's a euphemism to, to get them to see and understand that it's not, it's not going to last forever. And I, I love the way Jesus can comfort us in, in the midst of difficult times by getting our attention, our attention on eternity. You see, many of us need to reorient our lives right now through the lens of eternity because when we're going through suffering or difficult season, that's all we can feel or see and we begin to buy the lie that it's never going to end. And Jesus says, yeah, it's... 10 days, you may be in prison. Some of you may experience death. You see, Jesus, because he's passed through death, understands that death isn't the final word, that this is not our home. And you see, friends, the more that we can get an eternal focus and vision and understanding in the life that we're living right now, it'll allow us to endure hardship with a strength and a stamina. It'll allow us even to experience the joys of this life knowing that these pale in comparison to what Jesus has for us. Living with an eternal mindset isn't saying that we ignore what's going on. No, but in the midst of it, we hold on to the promise that we can persevere under pressure. We gotta reorient our lives through the lens of eternity because the reality is this. We may experience death in the body. The church may experience death in the body, but friends, we will not experience death in our soul. You can read stories around the world where, where the church of Jesus is persecuted, where the church of Jesus is experiencing very familiar environments as to what we see in the book of revelation, just because it may not be on our doorstep doesn't mean that it's not the reality for a good number of Christ followers in the world today. For us, we need to stand in solidarity with the suffering church. We need to stand in solidarity much like Jesus stands in solidarity with us when we suffer. We, we stand among and with and we declare the promise of God that this is not the end, what can wound our body, will not damage and take our soul. The word to this church is don't be fearful, be faithful. Don't allow the overwhelming circumstances that are crushing you to allow the fear in your heart to overweigh and outweigh the faithfulness that God has called you to live. Listen to me, I'm not telling you that we're not gonna have moments where fear rises up. But listen to me, can we be the type of people that we mature in the Lord in such a way when fear rises, we speak to that. And in the midst of being afraid, we can produce faithfulness and fruitfulness in our life. This is what Jesus is encouraging this church. 
He says, I know what's facing you. I know what's coming against you. And I want you to remain faithful. Why? What's the other promise? Because he says, if you do this, you're going to receive a crown of life. And the crown that he speaks of has the same sort of feeling as those that would win a crown after a race that would would win a crown or an award for some activity that 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 demonstrated valor he's saying to you listen to me there's a crown on the other side of this if you just get through this here and now i have something for you i've got something that is that is greater when we participate in the sufferings we are we are competing in a contest for our faith and when we finish this contest Praising God, what Eugene Peterson says, is that we're crowned then with the prize of life. That we're, we're pursuing this, but we're not just moving through without purpose. Our purpose is Christ. Remember, he's the vision. The vision is Jesus. The vision of Jesus is to reorient us, right? Because the reason why John writes down the vision, the extraordinary vision of Jesus is to remind the churches specifically, and maybe especially the church at Smyrna, view everything through this lens. How many times do we view life through our problem? We view life through our success. We view life through through the lenses that we're bringing. And friends, the whole message in the book of Revelation is allow what you are seeing and facing to be viewed through the lens of the resurrected and powerful Christ. This is the promise that we have, that there is an eternity waiting for us, that Jesus is among us, friends. In this church, history would tell us that one of the future bishops of this church would be a church father and church martyr known by the name of Polycarp. It's a famous one. You might have heard that name. You might have, have known him. But I think what's interesting is to tie some of these things together. More than likely, Polycarp is part of this church when they receive this letter from Pastor John. Polycarp would go on to be a bishop and pastor and overseer of this church some 50 years later on down the road. And Polycarp, as I said, was one of the historic martyrs of the church. And when you you look at his story and, and you see how it sort of played out, there was a resoluteness in his following Jesus. There was a commitment to follow Jesus regardless of what he faced. And I just wonder if maybe the reason he was able to be so steadfast is because he was discipled and raised in an environment where this letter was rehearsed and reread and was understood that part of following Jesus was to participate in the pressure, and regardless of what the pressure would produce, would bring our way, that we'd be steadfast. Friend, listen to me. We may not be facing difficulty like this now, but if the church does not prepare themselves to face this type of pressure, then we're missing a vital part of our discipleship. 
Polycarp at 85 years old, when he's brought in, given a final moment, listen, denounce Christ, or we're going we're gonna to turn the wild beasts loose, and they're going to they're gonna rip you limb from limb. We're going to set you on fire. We're gonna, and he basically says to them, hey, bring the beasts. Let them come. He says, you want to set me on fire? He says that fire will burn out in probably an hour, but the reality is what's happening here and what Jesus has done is going to last a whole lot longer. Friends, that's the type of testimony I want us to have in our lives. Even though he slay me, man, yet will I praise him. Even though I may be faced with difficulty and pressure may come at me from all sides, and I may not know how I'm going to get through this season of pressure and suffering and difficulty, what I can tell you is that Jesus is more than enough. And if he is with me and he is for me, let the beasts come and let the fires be ignited. Because what Christ has done will stand the test of time forever. Grace and peace, church.